But just ahead of a question period, I'd like to announce uh, next week's uh, sessions. We actually have uh, two election forums next week, provincial election forums. On uh, Tuesday, the 21st, it's uh, Lethbridge West Forum at the Lethbridge Public Library at 7 o'clock. So uh, please show up to that one. Bob Campbell is going to be the moderator. And then the following night, Wednesday, April 22nd, we have the Lethbridge East Forum right here at the Country Kids and Catering. So hopefully we'll get uh, packed houses for that. There's uh, certainly uh, an issue-based uh, election this year. So uh, hopefully we'll get lots of people showing up and ask the hard questions. Uh, next week, uh, Thursday, we have, well, I think we have, it isn't, uh, I ha he hasn't responded uh, to me the last few days, so, uh, <laughs> but the topic is how did Alberta arrive at its present political and financial state? And it's, uh, this, the speaker is Anthony Sayers from the University of Calgary. So I'm hoping uh, that it will, in fact, happen. If not, we're going to be scrambling for a speaker next week. But I think it'll, I'm pretty sure it'll happen. He's probably just busy, you know, with exams coming up and last class, last classes happening. Anyway, that's it for me. Uh, I'd like to invite Rob and Dave back up and uh, face the music. Uh, line up at the mic, please. And Ready? Anytime, Beth, go ahead. Well, I know both Rob and Dave, and this is so this is very fun to see you in another incarnation as city councillor and now working with the city instead of being at the pools as a lifeguard. <laughs> um, I have had, we have had many cats from the um, Lethbridge, is it Humane Society? Is that what it's called? <clears throat> including our current one, who's lasted longer than any of the others. She's now seven. Usually by age five, something happens, uh, usually coyotes. And um, so we're very happy that, to hear that, of these great changes at the, at the uh, Humane Society. Um, I wanted to hear a little bit more about the item that you mentioned in case you get too many buffalo in Lethbridge, i.e. deer, uh, could you tell us <laughs> a little more about these other animals, the, the bylaw about the other animals? You're talking about buffalo. Um, oh, no, I was just throwing that out there. What I, what I meant was um, our committee is looking at not just – right now we're focused on three issues dealing with cats. But, but over, over the next few years, we're also going to take um, um, other, other issues dealing with other animals and bring those forward as well. I just threw buffalo at that because we don't have a... I, I know. I, we don't have a buffalo problem. Yeah, yet. I understood. <laughs> I understood that that was a euphemism to mean something else. 
Um, but we do have raccoons in the city. Um, we do have skunks in the city. We do have coyotes, coyotes in the city. And we have deer in the city, uh, none of whom have chips or are neutered or anything else. So um, I'm quite curious because I know people have phoned the city and said, we've got skunks. And this, you know, and the, and no one's come out to collect the skunks. So I wonder about skunks and raccoons. If you have a trapping policy, trap and release, or something. And in regard to coyotes, that would take care of your feral cat problem. And about the deer, um, I'm wondering if there could be some way that this committee thinks about um, a program to utilize the deer in the city as Banff and Waterton as part of our tourism, um, that there that there's a way a way to kind of make sure the deer stay in one area. Uh, deer are very as we we live on the coulee we have deer and they're they're very um, area specific. Like our deer in Sunset Acres don't go over to Mountain Meadows and vice versa. So I'm just wondering if you've talked with wild, wildlife biologists to talk about ways to keep allow the deer to be in the city without having to shoot them and, and use them as tourism, but also use your biologists to uh, look, about, look at maintaining a particular area for them. Okay, thanks, Beth. Um, Dave's going to talk about the, um, the issues of skunks and raccoons. And deer, and then I can talk a bit about um, wildlife in the city in general. I think so. Certainly, uh, what you highlighted, Bev, really covers two different pieces of documentation under the province of Alberta. That's going to be the Agriculture Pests Act and the Wildlife Act. And the City of Lethbridge doesn't have authority under either one of those pieces of legislation. We have fish and wildlife officers in our community that are empowered under those documents. We realize that they're not always here. So there are some services that the city of Lashford supplements, and you mentioned skunks and raccoons, and we've had a modified skunk program. So the city of Lashford used to have a program where you could rent a trap from the animal shelter, put a deposit down, and trap the skunk, and the city would come out and pick it up. That became far too onerous. We were in a position where we couldn't service the traps, and we couldn't provide the work that we were really hired to do, which was to deal with dogs that were at large. So we still operate a supplementary program out of the animal shelter where you can phone the shelter. They'll collect information on where you're having your skunk problem, and when they get a number of complaints in a certain area, then they'll put a trap on city property. So we won't trap on private property. If you need it moved off of your private property, you'll have to look at contacting uh, one of the pest control companies. And we have had two... Uh, individuals move forward that are providing services specifically to skunks. Now, now raccoons are very similar. So we, we do have a population of raccoons that are moving into our community, and, and, and we don't have a program to be able to address raccoons or porcupines. Deer, again, straight under the Wildlife Act. Uh, the city of Lushbridge, the only response we have is, is if, if a deer has been injured. When you talk about using biologists, we've got a really good example, and it's our rattlesnake program. So uh, that is something that has been moved to our department well, maybe five or six years ago where we have uh, a contractor and volunteer that, that is very engaged in saving rattlesnakes in our community. And uh, we meet with the biologists and kind of set a guideline. And again, uh, 
They specifically fall under the Wildlife Act. So we make uh, application for a research permit. We have created a call line where you can have a one call where you can go and somebody will come and move that rattlesnake for you and relocate it. And I'm not sure, um, your, your other question about allowing like a sanctuary for deer within city limits, I don't, I don't believe that we can actually do that, according to what David said as well, right? National parks are governed by different rules that they can have. They can allow those animals to come in and out of the, the town site, um, and there is no regulation on them. But we would have to, being in a city of almost 100,000, we, we couldn't just allow deer to run free, right? So I, I don't think that will be... Uh, Alexander Wilderness Park we have, um, Elizabeth Hall Wetlands, they, the, the deer run in, Putt Van Park. So we do have some areas that, in the city where um, the animals can run without fear, I think, of, of, of people poaching. Well, hopefully the people aren't poaching them. There are, you're right. So, so when it comes to wildlife through our, and not just deer, it's, it's every piece of wildlife, whether it's a coyote, and surprisingly the coyotes fall under the Agriculture Pest Act and not the Wildlife Act. So there are protected species and in areas. So Fish and Wildlife has identified that our community is built on a wildlife sanctuary, which is the River Valley, right? And that's where these animals are coming. That's where their habit is. And we're really trying to move in conjunction with the Nature Center to people living with animals rather than seeing them as a, as a problem. And, and skunks is a great example. The best way to keep a skunk out of your yard is to make sure that it's sealed and you don't leave garbage out. Right? It, it's a matter of taking a different approach to seeing the animal as a problem rather than uh, part of your, your living environment and trying to understand what they need to be able to live and what you can do to help keep them out of your, out of your yard or out of your garden or whatever that may be. Uh, Harry Eldon. <coughs> As far as I'm concerned with the deer, they're very great help in getting rid of my flowers. Uh, <coughs> but um, on, on other questions here of costs, uh, I understand that the city pays around $300,000 a year to uh, run the, uh, the center, the shelter, uh, apart from the 40000 that you mentioned for uh, uh, vet bills or veterinarians plus this and that. And uh, a good chunk of money, probably the four or five hundred thousand dollars for the upgrade that was done this year. So a lot of money has gone into this. So I was wondering, just how many animals were at this shelter? And I understand that as of yesterday, there were maybe three dogs and nine cats. So what's the capacity of the shelter, and how many animals move through that in a year? Sure. <clears throat> so the capacity of the shelter is twenty-eight dog kennels, fifty-six cat kennels, and additional twelve kennels for isolation. Uh, over a period of a year, we'll have anywhere between 793 dogs go through and anywhere between four and 700 cats. So we can have, on average, 1,200 animals move through the facility on any given year. Now, uh, the, the difference between the Humane Society and our animal shelters, we're a short-term stay facility. So animals come in, we want to get them out as quickly as possible. Hello. Um, yes, at any rate, my training is an animal health technician, so I've worked with vets. And I, I, in the 80s, I was the vice president of the Humane Society, and I was one of those crazy cat people that, that, that took care of 25 cats at, at a time in my home and that sort of thing. And uh, uh, a bunch, uh, not just myself, but 
um, a lot of us at the time, we were just overwhelmed and we realized this is a numbers game. And um, I, I'm curious as to why. I know that on the books, the, the taxpayers of Lethbridge have paid for a, a cap bylaw has been examined and has been written up but not implemented, and I'd like to know why. Calgary's apparently has been quite successful, and I want to congratulate those officials for having the backbone to really um, at, uh, attack the numbers game. And um, uh, also, I'd like to know why if I call a pest outfit here in town, a private pest outfit, which is fine, and I want to get rid of a, uh, I have a problem with a skunk or a raccoon, let's just say I did. Um, I can call them and have them do that. Now, these animals are indigenous to this area, skunks and raccoons and, you know, they're, they're considered, in, but they're, um, you know, skunks have been here long before uh, Lethbridge is really spread out. So why can I not call those people? Uh, I personally wouldn't, but people have asked me, why can they not call those people to come and trap a cat and dispose of a cat that is non, not a indigenous to this area and it has not been classified as a pest like a skunk and a raccoon has, but they're still, skunks and raccoons are still animals too that are indigenous. I can't call them to get rid of a non-indigenous animal that is killing um, hun you know, hundreds and thousands of our songbirds every year. And I'd like to know when is the city going to get the backbone to implement a cat bylaw um, uh, so that we have... I mean, I think this is great what these other people, what this is doing, this cat, this animal committee. I think they're at least trying to address the issue and they're certainly not going to get everybody to agree on their process and what they're going to do for, sh for sure. But can, I'm, I'm wondering when we are going to be attacking this issue on another level too. A citywide cat bylaw seems to be something that a lot of people want to look at because they're really following what Calgary has done. And apparently they've had some success. Okay, so. certainly. I'll, I'll approach the first one first. Ask the first one. When it comes to cat bylaws, it's, it's not new to the city of Lethbridge. So the city of Lethbridge has certainly examined cat regulations before and they've gone before council. The simple answer is, is there has to be enough support from the community for there to be legislation in place. And what a bylaw is, is all a bylaw is, is a set of rules and regulations that capture a, a reflection of what that community values at that given point in time. Now the community can certainly come forward again at any point in time and request that cat bylaw be evaluated again at one point in time. And it'll, it'll be evaluated by administration. It'll be prepared, there'll be a cost analysis done, and it'll be pres presented to council. And those people that really want that cat legislation, I'd suggest that they show up at that council meeting. The last council meeting where the bylaw was, was presented, we had a vocal group of individuals that wanted cat legislation. We, wanted a, we had a very vocal group that did not want cat legislation. The vocal group that did not want cat legislation showed up. They were present at council, and it was uh, council took what they had to say, they looked at what the cost evaluation was, and at that point in time, they didn't proceed. doesn't mean that it, they weren't going to proceed at another time. We currently don't have, uh, administration isn't preparing a cap bylaw. So it's, it's really up to the individuals in our community that want cat legislation and can certainly uh, get their elected officials behind them to be able to support that and then it'll be evaluated, and then all of the council members will be able to evaluate that. When it comes to trapping on private property, uh, the City of Lethbridge operates uh, 
a cat trapping program. So it's not that we don't do anything with cats. We have a cat trapping program that's administered through the animal shelter where you can, again, rent a cat trap. And there are regulations around when you can use it and how you can use it, and we'll lend out cat traps based on our capacity. So we do have a finite capacity, like this gentleman asked what it is, and that's 56 for cats. So we want to make sure that that we have always have some room for stuff to come in. People also can get private traps. So if you have individuals that that uh, want to trap the cat on their property, there is no regulation saying that you can't. And that comes for the private exterminator companies as well. So if you find an exterminator company that wants to trap it, then they certainly can. Now, we're very cautious when it comes to taking animals that have been left in private traps, and that's simply because we have a stringent set of guidelines on how that trap is used. At the end of the day, the most important thing is that the animal isn't mistreated, whether it's mistreated at the shelter or whether it's been left in that trap or trapped in an inhumane process. And what was, there was something about skunks, too. What did you want to ask about skunks? Okay, um, so Fish and Wildlife, yeah. some agency will take care of skunks and that. They won't. Okay, they won't. No. But, but, okay, so I can get a trap. You said if I have a skunk, I can get a trap. And who do I give that skunk to? No, if, if you're trapping it yourself, then it's your responsibility. To drop it off at the river bottom. To, to take it wherever. Yes, absolutely. Cold ale. Yeah. Cold ale. So... <laughs> Oh, no, I didn't say it. I'm sorry. That, that, yeah. that slipped out. I'm sorry. So when we trap a skunk, we, we take it, uh, and, and we, aren't, we aren't in the dark ages any longer, right? So 15, 20 years ago, caps, skunks were trapped, and they were humanely euthanized using carbon monoxide. That's not the case any longer, right? So we will trap the skunk, and we will release it in the far reaches of our community in our river valley to try and get it back to its natural habitat. What happens with the private exterminator traps is not regulated by the city of Lethbridge. Probably Rob can answer this okay. question. We're going to hire, the city is going to hire uh, a peace officer to inspect for a second... Uh, Secondary suites? Right. Yeah. Okay. Now, there's a lot of uh, stuff on the dog bylaws, like dogs in the back of pickups, it's a $200 fine. Can we not utilize him to do some of this? Okay. Yeah. Oh, Dave's going to answer. I think that uh, what you're talking about, Brenda, is, is she's asking a question about peace officer. And, and there's different designations in the province of, yeah. of what a municipal enforcement officer is. The, the terminology, to, to my understanding, is they're not hiring a community peace officer okay. in that position. It's going to be a bylaw enforcement officer the similar in a similar fashion to us. And all that really means is, is you're going to get bylaw officers that look like me, and you're going to get police officers, and you're going to get something in between for community peace officers. And they're the guys you see running around in small towns that supplement their police services, and they write direct-to-court tickets. So our ticket process now is as if you got a barking dog or your dog's off leash, you'll get a, this, something that's similar to a parking tag. So you get uh, the option to pay that fine in lieu of prosecution, and you got 30 days before we give you a, a real nice notice that's going to be served to you by a by a, a community peace officer, one through the police service. Okay, because I know they're level ones. Everything that has to do with a motor vehicle to pull a, a pickup truck. They cannot do it except the police. That's low on their t 
totem pole, which I be- which is right. Yeah. Can we not hire a level one community peace officer to start enforcing these bylaws to investigate animal abuse because the SPCA is in Okotoks. Then we have to call them down or the police. So, uh, good questions, Brenda. I mean, they're, they're, they're not easy answers, right? So, at, at the end of the day, what you've talked about pulling a vehicle over, uh, not every community peace officer has the same appointment in the province of Alberta. So, in Lethbridge, we have a yeah. very significant police force. And, and our police force have empowerment under a host of provincial regulations, federal regulations, and our municipal regulations. So you would have to have a peace officer that has not only a community peace officer level one, but they would have to have that special designation to be able to pull over moving vehicles. That's right. And certainly that's going to have to be approved by by more than just city council. It's going to have to be approved by our police department and and ultimately have some ramifications back to the, you know, the the chief of police and and the traffic department of the city of Lethbridge. Well, you know... Laws uh, can be enforced without being a community peace officer one. So I think I there's, there's a, there's certainly is every parking ticket that you've gotten in your life has been enforced by a, by a bylaw enforcement officer, right? And, and those bylaw enforcement officers not necessarily are a, a community peace officer one, but you still got to pay that ticket. So, but Madison Hat has 11 community peace officers, nine are level ones that can pull over, can inf- enforce their animal bylaws, can investigate animal cruelties, can go in and take a dog out if they if it's in harm. So wait, the only people that can do it are the police, correct? The people who can, it depends what you're talking about, right? So if you're talking about uh, how, well, this, I'll, I'll keep this short. Bylaw enforcement departments are set up in one of two ways. You're set up like building inspectors, and you're, you go out and you do your work and you send your notices and you try and enforce regulations, or you're set up like a police department. And Medicine Hat is, their bylaw enforcement department is a direct ancillary enforcement body associated to their police department. Right. The city of Lethbridge is not set up that way. We're, we're set up where we have contractors providing a variety of services. They have empowerment under our municipal bylaws. And the only provision that is there for cruelty is for dogs that are left in cars without sufficient ventilation in the summertime. So you're correct that the the two bodies that are responsible for animal cruelty investigations are going to be the SPCA and the City of Lethbridge Police Department. So, okay, in the summer now... uh, Oh, sorry. Maybe we should take the next uh, (laughs) question, please. Thank you. Just to relate to that, just one more thing. you don't have to respond to this, Brenda. But the, the other thing is, when we're looking at budget for for things like you're talking about, and 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 if if a different municipality has has their bylaw enforcement set up differently as what, what David just described, is that we that would be a, a multi uh, a multi layered look at a different bylaw because we'd have to change what some of our policing does as well as change what our regulatory services does or a different department. So it's not just the fact of, of hiring a bunch of people to do this. It's There's there's levels of things that we'd have to change. Terry Shillington, thank you very much for your presentation. Uh, I'm intrigued by the reference to feral cat colonies. I guess I live in a protected world, but... Uh, 
would you say something about where I would go to find a, a feral cat colony? And in particular, how do they winter? Uh, I presume in the summertime there's rats and mice and so on, or mice and something, but uh, birds. No, apparently there's not rats. But uh, how do they winter? Let's start with how do you find them. Um, sometimes you can't unless you know what you're looking for. Um, from the, the animal rescues that we worked with in our committee is that the, some of the feral cat colonies that they're dealing with right now is they can approach them, but when other people go to approach them, they disappear. You can see remnants of where they've been. You can see defecation. You can see where they might have slept. You can see where they've been scratching or something. But you might not ever see the cats until the nighttime or, or unless they allow you to. There are some areas of the city where obviously you can, you can see the cats. Um, and, and where do they come from? How do they start? Well, this is interesting because a good friend of mine lives uh, very close to the West Side uh, Fire Hall. And, and he was saying to me one day, I've got all these cats in my yard. So what happened was... These cats are coming down, would be up drive or wherever they're coming from, and all of a sudden one cat showed up in his yard, and then another one, and then another one. So that's that's pretty much how it starts. One of them, one or more of them, probably aren't um, have been spayed or neutered. So now you have um, re- reproductive issues. You have them um, going underneath his deck. They, they're going underneath some of his lawn furniture that's been tarped. Um, and there's ways, and I've given some information on how to try to get rid of them, um, which has been fairly successful, but that's how it starts. It happened over a period of, uh, of a week. He went from no cats to five cats in his yard in a week. So, Feral cats, you know, certainly there's, uh, there's a difference between a domesticated pet and a feral cat. And what a feral cat really is is a is a cat that's gone through a couple of generations of having no human contact, and they are wild, right? They're, and they are a challenge to find. And certainly one of the tasks that this committee was asked to do was determine the volume of feral cats. And we've had huge numbers saying that we had thousands of feral cats in our community, and we spent hours looking for them. So I, was out, I went out between 10 p.m. and 2 a.m., for three weeks straight, and I seen two cats, three skunks, and three rabbits. So it, they are not easy to find, but the people who do this kind of work on a regular basis that are feeding them, they know where they're at. I'm just sort of being a devil's advocate here. I really do appreciate what you guys are trying to do. Um, so you're just telling me that the taxpayers of Lethbridge paid you $45 an hour to go and spend countless hours to look for feral cats. That some people have a problem with that, and I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'd like to see a plebiscite because I'm all for what the people of Lethbridge want. Um, but so my question is this: uh, I've lost track of what my question was. Oh, because feral cats—it's been well documented that they only live about two to three years. Um, some people question the wisdom about spending all this time and money of City of Lethbridge resources and money to uh, trap and neuter or spay feral cats that once once they get done, the next day they're going to be put back on the street and get hit by a car or they die from disease within two to three years anyhow. Uh, who are we doing the favors for here? <laughs> you know, you, re- you really wonder. <laughs> sure. Thank you. So, so certainly. And, and if I had 
gotten paid for those $45 an hour for being out looking for cats, I definitely agree that probably wouldn't be the most appropriate use of resources. But people that work in in the field of, of animal care give back. And, and certainly we do the same, right? So there, there was no no amount of hours put in for the hours looking for these feral cats after hours. When it comes to managing feral cats and their lifespans, there is. There is, a, there is a financial impact to managing these cats. There's also a financial impact for not managing them. So the cats that uh, end up in our shelter that are feral, that haven't been vaccinated, that haven't been fixed, that, that could have more kittens, have an exponential cost when they hit the animal shelter. The key to keep feral cats feral and to keep them cost-effective is to keep them out of municipal shelters, to keep them out of the Humane Society, to keep them out of any rescue groups, to try and build a colony where they can survive outside. And a gentleman asked about how do they winter. You know, they're resourceful, right? They certainly are. You know, and and, uh, part of the feral cat program really is designed to, to be able to foster the fact that they stay in one location and they have food resources, they got shelter resources. There was a question asked earlier about deer populations and how do you build a colony. Managing wild animals and cats and dogs, is not it's not rocket science. right? If there's a food source, if there's shelter, and if there's a, a way for them to breed, there's going to be, there's going to be animals. Right? So feral cat programs are designed so that you have a population base that can stay in one area that has the resources it needs, and it's been proven that if you take the animals out of that resource, more will fill. Right. We have time for one quick question. That's it. It's one quick answer. Um, <clears throat> the uh, the way that we domesticated cats and dogs is entirely different. We went after the dog-like predecessors of our modern-day dogs, and we captured them, and and then they became part of our pack. But with cats, they are the only animal that has chosen humans, the only mammal. There are lots of others, mites and, and bedbugs and others that have chosen us. But the only, <laughs> the only little mammal that has actually chosen us is cats. And so it's, it's no wonder that the cats come into the yards and congregate because they figure out pretty fast because they can smell and sense the food that we have. So we have to remember that they chose us and they are continuing to choose to live with us. That's why it's very difficult when we have these feral cat populations. Right, so just one, one thing to, to, to illustrate too, I think it was the, the question from Darlene was, um, why, do you, why would we do this? Um, uh, um, a male and uh, 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 yeah, the, the exponential growth of, of one couple that hasn't been spayed or neutered uh, over time is huge and, and we, don't want it, we don't want to have to deal with those issues as well, right? Yeah. It's probably the best way to do it in a humane and fair way to do it. If you want to look at an animal welfare, not animal um, control, it's, it's a bit different different way of looking at it. And that's the second half of that answer. Really, is carrying capacity the location? Like it, it, you can take all the animals and and you can euthanize them humanely, but if there's carrying capacity at that location, they'll come back. You know, they'll if there's a food resource, if there's shelter. 
they'll they'll find their way back again, and then you'll have the whole cycle starting over again. Where there's a managed population, there uh, that the population decreases. Senate Hill on Ottawa is, a, is the primary example in Canada for a cat population that was managed. It took 20 years, but there was a, a colony of feral cats there that was managed, and over that 20-year period where they were sterilized, uh, the colony no longer exists. So then how do you explain the success of the Calgary cat bylaw? The Calgary cat bylaw doesn't address feral cats at all. It, it, it doesn't address them at all. All the cat bylaw... They have, a, they have a trapping policy for cats at large, but that's not managing a feral cat program. Okay, thank you very much. Please join me in thanking the Rob and Dave. And don't forget to... Uh,